Father, we come to you right now knowing that our hearts need to be strengthened by grace, not foods. Lord, we are in an interesting place right now this year where a lot is shaking. There's a lot of uncertainty. And yet, knowing that we have received an unshakable kingdom, Lord, we, we long to be strengthened by your grace to, to live well and to show the world a different kingdom of which we are a part. We know that in order for us to, to follow the great shepherd Christ well, we know that we need to follow our under-shepherds too, the pastors who he's given us here on earth to lead us well and to preach the word of God to us. And so I pray for my fellow pastors here in this church, for Pastor Kirk and Pastor Keith, strengthen them, and I pray that they would strengthen us by the grace in their lives and their teaching. Lord, I pray for other pastors here in the South Bay. I pray specifically for Pastor Brandon O'Sullivan and Pastor Keith White at Gospel Community Church. I thank you that we were able to aid in planting that church in Santa Cruz. Continue to strengthen them and cause them to be a great, bold gospel witness there that you might seek and save many in the Santa Cruz area. And lastly, Lord, I lift up our national pastors that that many know, Lord, that many pastors look up to, men like John MacArthur, men like Albert Muller. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen their hands now as they defy tyrants and as they preach the word. Lord, give them steel in their backbones. Give them words of grace and truth on their tongues. And I pray that they would lead by example and help other shepherds to, to love their flocks well. Lord, I pray that you would protect us and protect the church at large from more pastors falling away, falling into immorality and making a shipwreck of their faith. Lord, instead we want men like R.C. Sproul and like J.I. Packer, men of, who have gone before us and who are with you now to lead the way, showing us the type of life and teaching we are to have. We thank you that you are the great shepherd and we can always faithfully follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good morning. We are here in Hebrews 13, continuing to hear about what it means to live as citizens of an unshakable kingdom. Now, for an intro, I considered reminding you of current events and reminding you of the importance to be strengthened by grace. But I don't know about you, but I have a little bit of news fatigue. Um, So rather than telling you the headlines that you probably already know, I wanted to give you a snapshot of the news that I saw this week. In my backyard, the girls that I have love watching two very different creatures. They love watching ants and squirrels. Ants, many of you, and I, I had some infestation, had a lot of ants came in the house this summer. Ants are steady, focused, and on a mission. And they were programmed by God to remember their leader, a queen, and to find new food. And even if you put ant spray down on its path, they are really good at finding a way around that poison right to the sugar. Now, before you say I'm being trite or childish by bringing up animal illustrations, I stand on solid ground. I, I stand with the, the writer of Proverbs 6.6. 6, Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways, and be wise. The opposite of ants, my girls love watching, are squirrels. Get a few feet from them, they will drop their food and run away. They are skittish and usually self-interested on the food hunt. Rather than ants being determined to find food, they'll drop it. Even if the one in the back of the Woodard house had a big orange in its mouth and it just dropped it and ran away. Um, and, And so we have ants and squirrels, the picture that we have before us. Now I want you to keep these animals in your mind 
because I believe that they characterize the two opposing attributes from this passage that the author wants us to see. He wants us to be followers who follow leaders that follow Christ. And he wants us to do that so that we might be stable like the ant, following our leaders, and not skittish and fearful like a squirrel. He wants us to be stable and not skittish. Now, we have the ability to have stability because Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? Amen. So we have the ability to be stable. Right now, you are being tempted to be fearful and skittish like a squirrel, to be led away by strange teachings, to consume the headlines, and to to want to flee to any teaching that will give you comfort, to follow your wavering appetites that lead you astray. But we've been called to be followers of the great, stable, high priest, King Jesus. To live lives that faithfully submit to his teaching so that this church might be stable and flourish even as the world around us crumbles. In chapter 13, we've already covered how to love those inside the church properly, how to love our brothers as ourselves. We've been called how to love those outside the church properly, to to be hospitable and welcome strangers. We've been called as well how to love those who share our marriage breads properly, to love our spouses. And this morning, the author of Hebrews turns to our leaders, those who we are called to love and follow properly. In ordering these relationships, we go against the current of the world, and we establish and usher in this kingdom of God, a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And so I want you this morning to learn how to follow your leaders as they follow Christ, that you too might be stable and not skittish. This morning, I want you to follow your leaders as they follow Christ so that you might be stable and not skittish. We'll see this in three main points. First, the church is following. What does it look like to be a following church? Secondly, the leader's character. Do we even have leaders worth following? And lastly, the teaching's potency. What are the things coming out of the teacher's mouth, and how powerful and potent are they? Our first point, the church is following. Look with me at verse 7. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of the way of their life and imitate their faith. So we have three ways we are called to follow specifically here. We're called to remember, consider, and imitate. First, the church is called to remember. Now, given that the phrase here says, those who spoke to you the word of God, the author is most likely referring not to the leaders that were in their presence at that moment, but those who spoke to them in the past, those leaders that helped founded the church of which the Hebrews were a part, those who were likely not with them anymore. The, the, there's a change in, in verb tense in verse 13, we'll get to later in, or verse 17, we'll get to later in chapter 13, that talks about presently submitting to and obeying your leaders. But in this passage, it's interesting, it's talking about those who, in the past tense, spoke to you. And so they're called to remember, past tense, those leaders that, that started and founded that church. Now with that said, they are to look back at their former leader's example, but it's certainly not wrong to apply these general principles to their current pastors that help establish their faith as well. Saints, if we're honest with ourselves, there is certainly a tendency as Christians to be forgetful people. 
to be like Dory in Finding Nemo and to constantly be forgetting the goodness of God in our lives and be forgetting the goodness of the work our teachers have put before us. The first sin in the garden was a failure to remember God's leadership. If you remember well, in Genesis 3.3, Eve forgot what God had told her, and Eve said, But God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. See, what Eve did here, she misquoted God. She didn't follow her leader or remember his words well, but instead she cast, she listened to Satan, and she cast her leader, God, into a restrictive and an overbearing light and said, oh, it's not just that you shouldn't eat, but it's you shouldn't touch either. The first sin was not remembering her leader and disparaging him and looking down on him. This call to remember their leaders would have been especially important for the Hebrews as they, as we keep on hearing throughout the book, are tempted to go back to the old covenant system, a system that they they thought might be stable, it might be trustworthy, it was certainly more traditional than the Christianity that they were a part of. So the author is calling them to remember, remember the founding of that church. Remember the blood, sweat, and tears put into pouring the cement foundation of that church. Not just to say, oh yeah, I remember those, those old pastors back then and how they used to preach. Not just saying, oh yeah, I remember, but a remembering that, that thinks about those past leaders and causes them to make present decisions that are in step with and in honor of those past leaders too. Rather than jumping ship at the the latest temptation or the, the latest persecution that's coming their way, they're called to hold fast and to remember the great foundation that was poured for them in that church. Now, the way that we at CPBC can remember our leaders and and live out the spirit of this passage is is in a few ways. First, we can practically thank God and remember the people that planted this church in 1952. Now, we may not know their names, but what we can certainly do is thank God for their foresight and their faithfulness to plant a church here in the Silicon Valley and to, to start a work here that has gone on ever since 52. We are We can honor them by staying the course, and rather than getting skittish at the latest temptation or the the prospect of fleeing California, what we can do is we can say, thank you, God, for their faithfulness. I will remember them, even though I might not have ever known them, and honor their leadership by continuing to build upon the foundation that they poured here at Cambrian Park Baptist Church. That's one way that you can live out this remembering. Also, what you can do is you can remember the great love that Pastor Keith and Pastor Kirk and I have for you. Not that we started this church, but you can remember the many hours that we've put, the many hours that Pastor Keith and Pastor Kirk have put into preparing the teaching and preaching, the many hours of counseling they have spent with you, the the many prayers they have poured out for you, their love for you as as their own children. This simple call to remember your leaders. So we might say, well, duh. But this is the first thing that goes whenever people go under church discipline. Think about everyone who has left this church for wrong reasons. And the first thing that they do, in order to justify their own sin, they have to vilify the leaders. And they vilify them by forgetting, just like Eve, their past faithfulness and the amount of love and hours and time they've spent loving them well. So we are called first to remember 
our leaders. Not just say, to say, oh yeah, but to allow that to, to cause us to make wise and, and stable decisions in the present. The next way we are called to follow our leaders is not only by remembering them, but by considering. To consider our leaders' way of life and the outcome of their life. For the Hebrews, this would have been night and day between the old covenant rabbis and the pastors that they had ever before them. The rabbis would have told them, you need to obey the law apart from the Spirit of Christ, apart from the Messiah. And they would have put heavy yokes upon them, and they would have been cold, and obeying the law would have been burdensome. Consider the outcome of their life. Versus preachers of the gospel who also called them to obey the law of God, to obey God's word, but not to justify themselves and not in a cold way out of their own pride, but instead they are called to live godly lives looking to the gospel to empower them, a gospel that can relieve the the burden of guilt on their shoulders, a gospel that joyfully sets them free to obey the law of God because of what Christ has done. Consider the outcome of the way of life of someone who lives out that Romans 8 spirit-led life full of joy and peace. The Hebrews would have been able to see that, like night and day, the difference between someone who's a leader who's spirit-led and corrects you and shepherds you and and leads you down the path of God's law in in a sense of freedom rather than slavery and burden to the yoke of the law. The stable church is one that considers their leader's way of life. Now, this will never be perfect. It will always be imperfect, but your leader's should have lives that have the aroma of Christ about them. The aroma of Christ. The passage that Kirk read from Ezekiel 33, they considered their teachers, but they didn't consider the outcome of their life. They, they were not looking at Ezekiel's life and his faithfulness, but they were just wanting to listen to him, listen to this in the words he said. In Ezekiel 33:32, it says, And behold, You are to them like one who sings lustful songs with a beautiful voice and plays well on an instrument, for they hear what you say, but they will not do it. We'll get into particular qualifications in our second point, but the church should know their local pastors and be able to consider the outcome of their lives, and that should give them stability as they see the grace in their lives and what the true gospel can bring about. We're not called to just listen to preachers, listen to maybe people from this pulpit, or go on YouTube, go on podcasts, go online to find preachers that we will listen to for entertainment, to be like those people in Ezekiel who wanted to listen with lustful hearts to something that just sounds nice to our ears. But we are also to have pastors that we know their lives. We see how they parent their children. We've been into their dining rooms. You're called not to just accumulate celebrity pastors, but have pastors that you know, that you can consider the outcome of their lives. Perfect? No. The aroma of Christ? Most certainly. And as you consider the outcome of their life, it should strengthen you and remind you of the efficacy of the gospel and what it does to someone who's committed to preaching the word of God. Considering the outcome of Pastor Keith's life, for example, has had a stabilizing effect to my faith. He is someone who has modeled how to preach the word faithfully in and out of season. He's endured much suffering, and he shepherded the flock with great love, even when the sheep have bitten. As you consider the the outcome and fruit of your pastor's lives, it should have a stabilizing effect on you too. 
as you see faith in action. Even when we sin, godly leaders should model what godly repentance looks like as well, and you can even learn from that. To be stable, we must follow by remembering and considering outcome of, the outcome of the leader's lives. And lastly, the way we are to follow is by imitating. We are called to imitate not the leaders themselves in every particular detail. We are called to imitate our leader's faith. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 11.1, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. The second half of this verse, As I follow Christ, is what makes this imitation healthy and mature rather than cultish and destructive. The second half, imitate me, Paul says, copy me as I imitate Christ. That is what makes it mature and it builds up the church and stabilizes it rather than devolving into an embarrassing cult. The opposite danger facing the church on this point is not imitating the leaders because the congregation puts the pastors or the leaders of the church into a class all by themselves saying, we're not even going to try to imitate them because they're special, gifted, seminary educated, and have bigger libraries than me. And therefore, I'm not even going to try to imitate their way of life. And so the ditches that we fall into is imitating to the point without respect to Christ and becoming yes man and sycophants. And on the other extreme, saying, oh, they are a priestly class unto themselves. They couldn't understand my problems, and therefore I'm not even going to try to imitate their faith either. Saints, we don't want to fall into either of these categories, but we want to imitate our leaders as they imitate Christ. You are to thank God for the station that God has put you in life. And know that you don't need a salary, you don't need a formal seminary education to follow your pastors to imitate their faith. This will happen organically, living side by side your pastors as you see the way that they disciple and love the word of God and pray. And it should also happen intentionally through discipleship relationships where we walk through books of the Bible and walk through godly books together and you imitate our faith. But never be afraid in your imitation to be like the Bereans who always checked the teaching, and the life against the ultimate standard, which is the Bible, knowing that even your leaders have much room for growth. So be like Bereans, but still be imitators of your leaders. Now there's a fine line between worldly boasting and publicly talking about our lives in such a way that they can be emulated. So you should want to know Pastor Kirk, Pastor Keith, and myself. You should want to hear about the way we do things, not because we will always do them perfectly, and not because we're trying to boast about our lives, but because we say God is, has equipped us by his sovereign grace to be pastors. And therefore, we want to be a help to you. We want to be a shepherd to you. We want to tell you about the good resources that we're taking in throughout the week. We want to tell you about what, tr- what has worked and what hasn't worked in our times of family worship. We want to not boast about ourselves, but like Paul does constantly, remind them of, of who he is to, to his churches in Christ. How this looks practically for us is to imitate Pastor Kirk's zeal for the truth. Imitate how Pastor Kirk loves his girls and his many years of servanthood at at Cambrian Park. We should not try to emulate Pastor Kirk's whiteboard stick figure drawings. But as a church, we are called and commanded to imitate Pastor Kirk's faith as his faith 
is from God and not from him, and it points us to Christ. And so we are called to remember, to consider, and to imitate. And if we do that, we will be a church that bucks against the anti-authoritarian age that we're in and follows well. We can only be sure that we're following and it will lead to our stabilization rather than easily frightened and being skittish. We can only do that if our leaders have Christ-like character, which leads us to our second point, the leader's character. Look with with me at verse 8. We just read verse 7, which we'll be referring to, but verse 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. So this verse, these verses in 7 and 8, they don't give us an expansive list of what a leader's qualifications are like. For that, turn to Titus 1, 1 Timothy 3. You get longer lists there of what a leader should be. But here, we have the kernel of truth, the, the, the essentials of what it looks like to be a leader with godly character. We are told that these leaders are to speak the word of God, have lives that adorn the teaching, and leaders are to have an exemplary faith. Not only that, but as verse 8 says, by implication, leaders are to be stable like Christ. Since we already touched on the former qualities in the last point, we're going to spend the bulk of our time in verse 8 about the changeless stability of Christ. But a quick word first on verse 7 regarding the character of leaders. In, the, in Hebrews, the, the leaders they were talking about were the ones likely who founded the church. They had lives to back it up and had an exemplary faith that was to be emulated by their congregation. This reminds us that any good pastor is primarily one who knows that his role is not to draw a crowd, is not to offer up extremely sage personal insights, and is not primarily one who lives to make the congregation happy and entertained all the time. No, he is a man who has himself been convinced by the sufficiency of the word of God and seeks to clearly and boldly speak it as a herald. Jesus says in Matthew 4.4, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And later in John 21, after the, re- after the resurrection, Jesus restores the apostle Peter and tells him three times, what? Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. So we have to naturally conclude that what makes a leader a good leader, one worthy of following most foundationally, is his unflinching, simple, courageous job to study, know, and communicate the word of God from the Bible so that the church might eat the food which was intended for it. If it's true that we live by the word of God, every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, and that Peter was called to feed the sheep, what makes a leader worth following is he doesn't have to be the smartest man or the most entertaining man, but one who has lashed himself to the rock that is Christ and is willing to stake his life upon that and clearly and boldly communicates that to his people. Amen? Because the word of God is living and active, then it follows that a pastor who does this faithfully, he will have an outcome of his life that is built upon the word's promises. He will have a life that is filled by the fruit of the Spirit. He will be a man that loves his church, his wife, his family, and loves the lost 
increasingly over the span of his life. You can examine the outcome of his life and see that because he is committed to the sufficiency of the word of God, it cannot not bear much fruit in that pastor's life. He should be a man full of grace and truth who brings gospel restoration to whatever he touches. Now, although these qualities might seem like a no-brainer, they are fundamentally what the church has gotten wrong and why we have found ourselves in the societal mess we are in today. Church leaders stopped believing in the sufficiency of Scripture a long time ago. Go into most American churches today and you're not going to find the Word of God or people hungering for it, but you're going to find people who instead have wanted to have personal liberty. And that bait of personal liberty that Americans have followed has ended up being our national snare and has gotten us into a mess of chaos, the chaos of our own sin, not wanting to follow leaders, but wanting to prop up men who will dance for us and sing a lustful song for us, like Ezekiel said, men who will tickle our ears and give us good children's programs. It's not the left who's thrown this country down the sink. It's men like Charles Finney, who years ago said that you don't have to pray for revival, you can manufacture one. Bring out the anxious, anxious bench, put up the tents, play emotional music, cause people to walk the aisle. Man can manufacture a revival, let's do it again. You might say, this is simple, Kurt, to remember your leaders and follow them, but this is precisely where America has gotten off track. What we need is pastors who don't try to sit at the cool table and shift their message to the ever-changing tide of the world's culture, but men who are rooted and stable and from their stability can stand above the world and speak down against its evils and throw in the life preserver of the gospel without getting dragged in themselves. The good news is that while pastors have failed throughout history, the true head of the church, the great shepherd, is Jesus Christ. Amen? His character is perfect. And in his church, who has had many negligent leaders and pastors throughout the years, his church, who looks to him faithfully, will never be led astray. Verse 8, we are told that Jesus Christ is the consummate leader because he is the same yesterday today, and forever. This epic statement about Christ's changeless nature is a reminder that he is the perfect leader the church of the church that we need. He's the one we can always count on, and he's the standard by which we can judge our pastor's character and judge all true and false teaching. It's important to note that Jesus' incarnation was not a change in form, as modalist TV preacher Stephen Furtick says. The incarnation brought no change in his being, perfections, or purpose. The incarnation doesn't change the nature of Christ, but he simply takes on the human nature. This doctrine is so important because it reminds us that Christ isn't dependent on the decisions of man or the flow of history, but he sovereignly rules over men's decisions, and he is the author of history, guiding it by his word. Do you believe that Christ is the great creator, sustainer, and author who is writing 2020 as he pleases? Do you believe that? 
the Hebrews were in a position where many were being tempted to bail out, to jump ship. And so they, what they needed more than ever was a reminder that their church was ultimately led by the stable, chainless, changeless Christ, who was the only one who was able to still their hearts in the storm that they were in. Malachi 3.6 says, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. The Hebrews would have known this passage in their Old Testament very well. Knowing that passage well, the, the author of Hebrews didn't want this congregation to be consumed by their own sin, consumed by the world around them, and instead wanted to remind them that this Lord in Malachi 3 is the same high priest it's, who is still the foundation of that church. He wanted to remind them that unlike the Jewish rabbis that were not the same yesterday, but were ever shifting in their sources of tradition, against that, he wanted to remind them of Christ and that Christianity isn't some upstart religion competing with Moses in the Old Covenant, but Christ himself was the one who established the Old Covenant and spoke through the prophets and has now fulfilled the Old Covenant with his perfect life and death. And he's the one who's establishing the church and enabling her to disciple the world. Christ's stability is captured beautifully in the hymn, How Firm a Foundation. Listen to these beautiful lyrics. How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in God's excellent word. What more can be said than to you God hath said, to you who for refuge to Jesus have fled? Fear not, I am with thee, O be not dismayed, for I am thy God and will still give thee aid. I'll strengthen thee, help thee, and cause thee to stand, upheld by my righteous, omnipotent hand. How firm a foundation, saints, how stable a savior, how good a high priest who is better than these false teachers that try to be, be skittish like squirrels, chasing after the latest trends. Leaders who follow Christ and are faithful to his word are worthy to be followed and must be followed if we are to be stable and navigate these trying times in 2020. The pastors here at Cambrian Park Baptist Church take very seriously this call, and we are constantly asking ourselves, are we being faithful representatives of Christ? I pray so, because 1 Timothy 4.16 promises that our lives and our life and the life of this church depends on it. Listen to 1 Timothy 4.16. Keep a close watch on yourself and your teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. You'll save both yourself and your hearers. Your leaders at this church take very seriously this call. We are not perfect. We are constantly examining our life and our doctrine against the stability of Christ, because we want ourselves to be saved, but we want our hearers, too, to be saved. Those sitting in this church, those who will eventually come through these doors, and those watching online, we want our hearers to be saved. Which leads us to our final point, the teaching's potency. The teaching's potency. Verse 9. Look down with me at verse 9. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, which have not benefited those devoted to them. It's one thing for a leader to 
have what looks to be godly character on the surface. But this teacher must also recognize the potency of his teaching. Verse 9 reminds us that the church will either be stable or skittish, strengthened or led away because of the potency of the teaching, one way or the other. It'll be either the best medicine the church has heard and needs, or it'll be a poison that gets into the veins of the church and causes it to perish. There were some Judaizers here trying to destabilize the church of the Hebrews and getting them to go after both diverse and strange teachings. Their teachings were diverse, and there was actually multiple schools, you might know, of the Jews. They were followers of Hillel, Rabbi Hillel on one side, and, and Rabbi Shammai on the other. So they were, there was diversity in teaching. It wasn't one unified teaching. And their teachings were also strange. Strange in that they were foreign to the gospel. They were strange in that they were trying to go back to religious ceremonies and a scrupulous observation of them. Instead of what Romans 14, 17 says, that the kingdom of God is not of food and drink, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. One commentator, Guthrie, says, These teachings evidently promised spiritual strengthening through ceremonial foods and apart from God's grace found in Christ. In first century Judaism, participants celebrated special cultic meals, particularly the fellowship meal, as a means of communicating the grace of God. These meals involved the blessing of God, thanks for his grace, and a prayer of request. More broadly, Jewish meals were understood to give spiritual strength, strength for the heart, through the joy experienced at the table. This is what the commentator says. Now this is true, that the Jews looked for strength from their meals. And saints, this is why the teaching needs to be so clear and we need to have our our muscles of discernment strengthened because this is so subtle. Psalm 104, 14 and 15 says that we actually can get strength from food. Listen, you cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen man's heart. And so they could point to a Bible verse saying that we're, we're being strengthened by foods because Psalm 104 tells us to do so. So while it is certainly true, and we agree, that food strengthens us, and some of you were probably strengthened a little too much on Thursday, it does so in a physical way. It does so in a physical way. As we eat, of course, God gives us strength to to honor him, to worship him, to fulfill our tasks. We also recognize there is certainly a spiritual component to eating together. We thank God for his provision. Hopefully we're surrounded by the table, by other brothers and sisters in Christ, we can break bread with and talk about the glories of God with. And so there's a spiritual component to eating as well. But what they were getting wrong and the temptation that the Hebrews were tempted to follow after was the age-old error of trying to find their ultimate justification and strength from an outside-in solution. An outside-in solution is where they got it wrong looking for their ultimate strength, their ultimate justification, their ultimate standing before God based on the foods and the ceremonial washings and rituals and clean and unclean distinctions that they had. Bear with me as I recycle an old illustration 
those devoted to foods and the observance of the ceremonial law were trying to be right with God and spiritually strengthened, much like a married couple who tries to devote themselves to the rules of courtship after they're married. If a married couple were still to sleep in separate beds, and the woman in the marriage was still acting like her father was her authority in her life, then that marriage would not be strengthened and and oneness and unity would not grow, but that marriage would be destroyed, wouldn't it? Much the same is happening here in that they are coming to, to worship God and yet it's just as silly and ridiculous as a married couple trying to observe the laws of courtship again. That's not going to help your marriage. You have the new covenant. You have Jesus Christ. You have the true bread of heaven. Why are you going back to ceremonial teachings? These strange and diverse foods were what they were banking on to make them right with God and give them strength, and they would fail. Today, I hazard to guess you didn't look at your Thanksgiving turkey as a way to spiritually give you a pip in your step. You're not trying to not eat pork or shellfish to be right with God. Many of you aren't. And so what are the strange and diverse teachings we need to be on guard for today? We need to be on guard for the many religions that don't look like religions, but operate in a way that appeals to your fleshly appetites. Religions and promotions and advertisements that want to make much of you and promise you salvation through an inside or an outside in external solution. The American dream, saints, is is largely fueled on this false teaching. That you can have life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness because of what you get at Black Friday, because of what you accumulate, because of what you put on, because of what you eat. These things are what can strengthen your heart and save you. Against this is the stable, potent, gospel teaching of Christ, which alone has the power to strengthen the hearts of his people. I stand up here and preach today with great trembling, knowing that Matthew 18.6 says, But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and be drowned into the depths of the sea. So apart from the call of God to preach the gospel to you, apart from the calling of the church, every teacher should be terrified and not want to teach. Teaching is potent, saints. Advertisements are potent. Preaching from this pulpit is potent. It will either be salve to your broken heart or it will be poison that causes you to go astray. You'll either be stabilized or skittish because of the teaching. So apart from this, I would not be up here today. Apart from the call of Christ, no one should teach because because they'll be judged with greater strictness. Because we have to recognize how strong this teaching is. A quick survey of history will show us how potent teachers have been in swaying the course of history. On one hand, we have Moses, David, Christ, Paul, Augustine, Luther, Calvin, Edwards, MacArthur. Teachers who have strengthened the church. 
On the other hand, we know of Janus and Jambres who opposed Moses, Pharaoh's magicians. We had King Saul who led the nation astray. We had Caiaphas. We had Alexander the coppersmith, Arius, Pelagius, countless popes, Charles Finney, even today men like T.D. Jakes, Joel Osteen, Joyce Myers, Bill Johnson, and countless other false teachers who are trying to lead the, the church astray by their false teaching. Against these false teachers to demand that you have the power inside your heart if you'll just perform enough, if you'll just do well enough, if you'll just eat the right foods, if you'll just say the right prayers, if you'll give enough money, if you depend on yourself and your own goodness and you do the trick, if you know the twist, what's different about them, what makes their blessing better, then you can be saved. Saints, we must not be led away by these false teachings, but we must consider the outcome of their life. And just as it says in 2 Timothy of Janus and Jambres, their teaching will lead ultimately to destruction. It will devour itself. It will not end out with righteousness. Against this, we have to root ourselves on the potency of the teaching of grace, the scandal of God's amazing, costly grace. That is what we need to be a stable church whose, heart and, whose hearts are strengthened. This grace is the only thing that can strengthen your heart. The almighty creator, the one true living God, has lavished his grace upon you if you're a Christian this morning and covered your sin and is preparing a place for you in heaven. And he's also prepared the good works for you to walk in. Isn't that amazing? When you know that these things in your life isn't dependent upon you, but upon a stable and changeless God, then your heart can truly be strengthened. Because you're not looking to the shaking world or your own shaking ability to be perfect for salvation. But instead, you'll be looking to Christ, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. When you know that you've been eternally secured and have God's grace, and you know deep in your bones that you cannot die ultimately, then, and only then, will you truly start to live. But when you live for life's sake, you will never live because you'll be so focused trying to protect it. Sometimes there is a fear amongst conservative, even reformed Christians that we don't want to cheapen grace or focus too much on it because it will lead us to take grace for granted and to sin so that grace might abound. But we understand grace as the Bible teaches it it most certainly isn't as at odds with God's other attributes, but it amplifies them. It is the specific attribute that in this passage we are called to have our hearts strengthened by. Grace strengthens us by dealing with our deepest fears, saints. Grace is the only thing that can deal with your sense of condemnation, of deserving punishment. And grace deals with death because it brings us near to God on the basis of Christ and not you. The gospel of grace that will protect us from being skittish and led away by false teachings is the same gospel that will enable you to want, desire, and follow godly leaders. It is a gospel that takes you from being a lone wolf, from trying to be a maverick person and Christian, from being an an individual 
It's the grace that reminds you that you are a needy person who needs Christ and needs godly leaders who will represent Christ in your life. We must realize that the teaching is so potent, and therefore we want to be filling our heads with good teaching because we, like Eve, are so tempted to go astray. Well, like Eve, we didn't trust or follow God and his word. Instead, we followed after the ever-changing appetites in our lives. We followed after our passions, being easily enticed by Satan, who painted God's character in a more restrictive light. While we were guilty of that, God sent his son, Jesus, into the world, not to be subject to or dependent upon the world, but to change the world with his changeless character. To come as the leader Israel was always looking for, but always failed Israel. To come as the one who perfectly spoke the word of God. He was the word of God lived out without a shadow of hypocrisy. And he demonstrated us what true faithfulness looks like. Mark one twenty two says, He taught with authority, not like the teachers of the law of Moses. In Matthew 9.36, it says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Saints, you have such a marvelous shepherd. You have a shepherd who has given you potent teaching that can strengthen your heart even in 2020. He came and laid down his life and died for us, despisers of authority, so that we could be forgiven for our rebellion and brought into the stable, unshakable kingdom of light. In conclusion, saints, I hope you didn't forget those animal images I gave you. All of us, like skittish, fearful squirrels, have jumped from one teaching to the other, have been fearful and shaken by this ever-changing world, but as Proverbs 6.6 6 tells us, that we are to consider the ant and be wise. Repent of your go-it-alone spirit and pride. Repent of your jumping from teacher to teacher, accumulating for you celebrity pastors that sound nice and tell you what you want to hear. And follow the leaders like an ant who follow Christ. So that you too can be stable on a mission and undeterred by this shaking world. Is your heart strengthened by grace this morning? If not, then meditate on the amazing grace offered to you for free in Christ and place your faith there in the stability of Christ who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have taken rebels like us and changed us into followers. We don't want to just follow any old person, but we want to follow godly pastors who represent you and speak on your behalf. Help me as a pastor of this church be a faithful shepherd. Help me to always point to Christ, the great shepherd, so that people don't imitate my sin or imitate my quirks, but instead imitate Christ through me. I pray that my teaching today was potent, potent for good and potent for, for strengthening this body and all who hear the sermon. And I pray for my other pastors, Pastor Keith and Kirk and all true pastors around the world right now. Stabilize your church right now. And cause us to be fearless because we are daily strengthened by the teaching and preaching of the gospel of grace. In Jesus' name, amen.